Good morning. Good to be here this morning, and uh, I hope you've had a good week, and uh, I hope uh, in our Christian walk that we all live with the realization and the knowledge that we have much to be thankful for, irregardless of what's happening in the world or circumstances, uh, we do. We indeed have much, much to be thankful for, and we have a message to share to a world that is needing to understand gratitude and the grace of God. So I hope you have had a good week. And uh, uh, I will mention to you this morning, uh, it's in the bulletin here, but Casey Mitchell and Lisa Keene have both, Lisa's on the end of her COVID uh, battle. Uh, I think she's gotten through it. And Casey, uh, he's not really experiencing any, uh, at this point, earlier in the week, difficult symptoms, but he is, I've been diagnosed with COVID as well, so continue to keep them in your prayer. Two things, know you're aware of them, but they're in the bulletin again. Our, our baby bottle boomerang, uh, if you can get pick up one of the baby bottles, they're supposed to be back by Valentine's Day. Great opportunity to serve uh, our Hope Pregnancy, the ministry, one of those ministries that we support, and House of Hope. Uh, we've already They've already picked up one load of toilet papers and toiletries, and, and so if you can continue, we're going to do that through the last Sunday in January. So uh, just a couple opportunities to serve there. And then Carmen Janus is this Wednesday going to go and have the consultation. Uh, the recommendation at this point is to have a pacemaker and a defibrillator. And so obviously uh, we'll, you're in our prayers, Carmen, and we love you. So uh, those are the things that uh, uh, are in our bulletins I'm aware of. Uh, we have just been called to prayer. I'm so thankful that we do. Uh, we have leadership here and individuals here that are committed to uh, fervently praying, and it is a blessing uh, to be in, associated with those individuals who fervently pray on behalf of each other. I will notice uh, the little caveat here, January birthdays, you might want to look at that. Now, I, I was made aware we left Tracy Schieffer out. She's on the 27th, and so as we come, there's some great people who have birthdays on the 26th. Douglas MacArthur, Paul Newman, Wayne Gretzky. Just look, you can see them right there. Great, uh, great general, great actor, great hockey player, Tracy, a great contractor, Grace Kellenbrink, a great teenager, you know. So lots of great birthdays there in January, but uh, forgive me, Lord. And uh, yeah, forgive me. So uh, reflecting back on just the opening statement, uh, those two verses that Paul read out of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 14, pursue peace, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see God. No one will see God. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. And then verse 15, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many defile. Now, go to uh, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, I'm studying with the uh, high school kids, middle school on, uh, on Wednesday nights, we studied this passage last week. We are still in the book of Colossians. We have done those first 12 introductory verses in Colossians. We're about to start 
in verse 13, moving forward in the book of Colossians. And to me, that next section in Colossians is one of the high water passages in all of Scripture. As Paul writes to the Colossians about the supremacy of Christ, the statements that he makes about Christ in that passage of Scripture, the fullness, the absolute fullness of who God is, what he has done, what he is doing, what he will do, the purpose of God and how he works out his purpose are in that, this next statement uh, that's in the first chapter of Colossians. Before we start that, after the introductory statements where I use that and you, your handout, you saw the contrast between the spiritual and the biblical and the heavenly and the earthly and the carnal, just some great truths there, challenge to us, that first century church and to us today. But before we get to this uh, verse 13 moving forward in Colossians, there's, I'd like to uh, challenge us with a, a bridge. And so again, I've been working with the high school kids, middle school on Wednesday night. There's uh, the opening statement in 1 Timothy, an old preacher writing to a young preacher. Um, Paul writes to Timothy, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The way I frame that with the kids is uh, I ask them, what do you, um, what do you have to offer uh, anybody? What do you have to offer to the people in your life, the, the circumstance? What do you have to offer? And uh, ultimately, what do you have to offer God? Um, I don't know how much you examine yourself and ask yourself the question that, you know, what do I have to offer? What do I bring to the table? What is it that I have to offer? I love their answers, great answers, very insightful answers. I was impressed. They frame themselves in the reality of their life, you know, students and uh, Blake's in the band and, you know, the boys. Uh, I, they understood the question in light of, uh, as children, what do I have to offer my parents or my siblings or my grandparents? Or, and so it was good. It was insightful. So my thought to you, though, we're going to break this bridge, talking about the supremacy of Christ starting next week, God's purpose in that. And so there is a, this, this tremendous amount of information that has to do with what God has a purpose for you and God has a purpose for me. And sometimes we may not fully understand that. Sometimes we might struggle with that. But God has a purpose for you, and he has a purpose for me. And to fully understand that is to understand, okay, what do I have to offer anyone in any circumstance? And how much of it has to do with eternity? You say, just in examining your daily life, you can say, well, in this circumstance, I have the opportunity to offer help to someone. I have the opportunity, and that help may come in a lot of different ways. It may be financial help. It may just be any number of things, but I have an opportunity. If I'm an employee, I have an opportunity to offer to my employer a day's work, 
It's very simple. Um, how much of our daily living <laughs> is based upon temporary daily living things? I'm just trying to get through the day, man. I just, and life's tough. I got bills to pay. I'm tired. You know, whatever. There's not enough time in the day. I got issues that are struggling with, and I, you know, and so I'm thinking. I'm not really even considering what do I have to offer someone, much less how am I just going to get through the day or get through whatever the circumstances are. So what if you could narrow your day down every day, not just your day, but the seconds, the minutes, the hours, the day, and then all of eternity into really what is God asking you ultimately to offer? What, what is he asking you to offer? In Romans in chapter 12, go there real quick, Romans 12. I'm going to begin verse 1. Uh, Paul makes a statement. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So the word there, to present, means to offer. It's the same thing. So Paul's writing to Christians, I urge you, brethren, Christians, by the mercies of God, to offer yourself, to present your bodies, a living and holy sacrifice, sacrifice acceptable to God, which is, it is your spiritual service of worship. So now you go back to Paul's statement. He says, now, and I put a blank in that handout for you. What if you could put there, uh, you know, to your name, to Tammy, to Amy, to, you know, Lindsay? my true child in the faith, the Apostle Paul, a preacher writing to you. You put your name in there, and he would say, my true child in the faith. There's this great relationship between Paul and Timothy. You can read about it in Scripture. The influence in Timothy's life, you read about it, were his grandmother uh, and his mother. They, they made a spiritual offering in the life of their child that you, we get to see the culmination of it in Scripture and history. So you just put your name, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace. Every letter that Paul writes, he mentions something about grace, mercy, and peace. And he always mentions in it as something that he would offer because it's been offered to him. So if you're a, a, an achiever, an overachiever, because we got a lot of achievers in here, in fact, as I look out here, we have business people. We've got, here's what I believe. My grandfather said this to me over and over and over again. My father said it to me over and over and over again. It was a standard that they lived by, and I saw it. I witnessed it. I believed in it. He said, there's two kind of people in the world. There's givers and there's takers. Of all the lessons that I learned from my grandfather I, and my dad, and let me tell you something, brother, sister, they lived that way. They did. Everybody, we all take something. We do. Everybody. We just do. We all take something. But then the measure, how much you give, how much you take. Now, I have been blessed. I've I, I witnessed in my grandmother and my grandfather, my mother and my father, they were givers to this day. My fa he, 
my father is he's struggling with dementia and he's still a giver. He's a giver. He just is. 87 years old, dementia, he's still a giver. And so I look at my life and I think about the challenge of Scripture. And I think about my purpose beyond just trying to live day by day. Sometimes trying to live day by day with the reality of spiritual warfare. Paul wrote the Ephesians, our struggle is not with flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. And it's taking place in the heavenly places. It manifests itself in our lives. So I got my flesh. I got a spiritual battle. We're living in a dark, broken world. And Paul, every letter that he wrote to a church that was struggling with swimming, he said, grace, mercy, and peace. Grace and peace. Grace, mercy, and peace. Because he understood something. For you and I to fully live in the purpose of God, we have to understand what has been offered to us that is eternal, that manifests itself here in the earth as we live, and then in, consequently, what do we offer? So if you're a giver, because I'm going to tell you, I, just as much as I know from this congregation, I, I would just say, I would say everybody in this room that is of an adult age, I would just say this. I could confidently, I wouldn't leave any of you out of it. I would say every one of you is a giver. I would say every, I could say this. I wouldn't say it. If I had any hesitation, I just wouldn't say it. I wouldn't. But in this small setting, I can say that. I believe every one of the adults in this setting is more of a giver than a taker. I just believe that. I really do as I look out and see your faces. This is a group of givers. That's good. Now, think about Everything you're struggling with, it could be health. It could be a pacemaker and a defibrillator. It could be a back problem. It could be just getting older. It could be a financial problem. It could be a marital problem. It could be a family problem, health, children, all those things. Maybe struggling to pay your bills. I don't know. When I begin to think of the emphasis of Scripture and from an apostle to, to a church with people just like you and I, trying to get them to understand the influence of God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit in their life and the truth of God's Word, he emphasized the offering grace, mercy, and peace. Look at anything in your life under any microscope in your life. Examine it. You can examine it from just the onslaught. And you get hit. And then in our Christianity and our, our love of God and our trying to understand his word and being proud, we get the initial hit, but we get to a point, I think, think it would be true, most of us here, we finally get to a point, I'd like for us to get there, I'd like for me, I'd like for the knee-jerk reaction in my life when I'm hit with something, immediately, immediately go to prayer and God's Word and, and understanding. Sometimes it may take me a day or a week or longer to say, okay, Aubrey, you know what? I have the gifts from God. I have the promise of the Holy Spirit, and I've been sealed with that. I have the truth of His Word. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. I have the gift of prayer and the assurance that comes along with that. 
And now, as I get there, what is it that you have to offer? Think about it. Instead of thinking about, here's some great stories. If you're doing the daily scripture reading, you've gone through Job and Genesis, which is really good. And you're reminded, you're just reminded God's people, his best, the ones that, the Abraham, the Isaac, the Jacob, the Jobs, all of them, all of them. You're reminded that they were just like you and I, and they were frail, and they were fearful, and they were conspired against, and they were not always honest themselves. And, and then when you look at what God has done, God chooses, Paul wrote to Corinthians, he chooses the foolish to overcome the wise, the weak to overcome the strong, the base, the despise, the things that are not, so that no one can glorify themselves. Now, that has to do then with what you and I understand about our relationship with God and what he has offered us and what we have to offer him and others. Now, what if in the daily course of your living and everything that you're encountering, your first knee-jerk reaction is said, okay, stop. I don't know what's going on here. I don't like this. I do know what's going on here. This, isn't, uh, this is hard. Lord, what's going on? Help me. Or before you get to that point, try to fight the battle on your, based upon your flesh. But what if you say, you know what I do know? I know, I know like every great godly man and woman through Scripture, I know through the experience of my life. By the way, let me ask you something. How many times does God have to prove himself to you? How many times? Going through Genesis, God had to remind Abraham, I got you. You're going to be blessed. <laughs> you know, I got It's okay. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to lie. I got you. He did it. He did it. Isaac, Jack, don't worry. I got you. About what about you and I? How many times do you find yourself in the middle of a conflict or some kind of crisis or a circumstance, and you just got, if you just step back and say, hey, 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 all things do indeed work out for the good of the Lord, that those who love the Lord are called according to his purpose. It's true. Just trust him through this. Now, with the trust and with the knowledge, here's what you and I have to offer. We can offer grace and mercy and peace. I mean, we just read, and he said, you pursue peace. You pursue peace with all men. Are you doing that? And if you're not, why? Now, think about it, because he talks about our sanctification, and he says that, listen, if you don't understand that, there you go. there's no place for you. Terrifying words in Scripture, terrifying. So, again, challenge yourself. Based upon what God has offered you, what do you do? <laughs> In any circumstance in your life, why are you not offering grace and peace, grace and mercy and peace? Ultimately, what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago was an offering. And the offering in the body of Christ, our Savior, the Son of God, it was an offering. And he offered you and I grace. And he offered you and I mercy. And he offered you and I peace. One of my goals in ministry is to so deeply understand this. That in my flesh and in the midst of spiritual warfare, 
that I would, my first reaction would be, no matter what's happening, because grace and mercy and peace have been offered to me that I need to offer grace and mercy and peace. I think it takes a lifetime. And let's see how hard it is. Go to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And we're going to look at Matthew. We're going to look in uh, the 18th chapter of Matthew. But in Luke chapter 7, this is one of those places that I consistently refer to in Scripture. Um, The 7th chapter of Romans, Luke chapter 7, there's many. But this is one of those great litmus places in scripture that that again has to do with grace mercy and peace the offering of grace mercy and peace as a true child in God and so you know the story a Pharisee in verse 36 had asked Jesus to come dine with him and uh and so if you go to verse 37 and behold there was a woman in the city who was a sinner now we know that she was a prostitute I don't know if any of you know of prostitute I, I don't know that I again I, I I hope those of you who have been here for a period of time in your life I I, I, um, I, I never want to try to make a sermon about me but scripture should always bring us to me or you when I read this verse in so much of my life that has been good godly grandparents godly people godly people givers in my life my biological mother did not raise me, but I remember the first time I read this, and I have to say this, uh, my biological mother, she was, she was that woman. That She was that woman. She led a terrible life. And it, her, it was just a wreck. Beautiful woman. I didn't know her. She left me uh, in an orphanage when I was 11 months old. But I got to see her when I was 14, and I was well aware of her struggles. And every time I read this passage, I think about she was this woman. She was a sinner. And then we have, and when she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet. Could you imagine what a picture that scripture has described and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee, the teacher of God's word, who had invited him, saw this. See, he had offered him his home, hadn't he? We got a young rabbi, this hotshot preacher out here. Nobody really fully understands who he is. I'm a teacher of God's word. I'm going to have him come into my house. I'm going to prepare a meal for him. And then this woman, I've always wondered, now maybe this woman was just, just me wondering out loud. Maybe this woman would just, she just wanted to be so close to Jesus wherever he was going, she just following. Maybe, maybe she knew the address of this Pharisee. I don't know, but that causes me to think. But she knew the address and she knew how to get in the house and she's in the house. And so when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, now here's the offering. When you and I begin to speak to ourselves, 
mentally, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually, or lack of spiritual, let me tell you what we're doing. The offering is being poured out. We're offering something, baby. We're offering criticism. We're offering selfishness. We're offering pride, ego, and arrogance. We're offering something. And many times in our capacity as someone who knows the Word of God, as we're watching what's going on around us, we're offering judgment. And we're offering self-righteousness. This is the teacher of God's Word. And what does he do? Here's his offering. This is what he's offering in his conversation. Most of the honesty about what we have to offer somebody is veiled in the conversations in our mind. I tell you, it is. You want a really hard look at yourself? Tape record, if you could, the conversations that come out of your mind as you watch somebody, the conversations you have with yourself. Oh, man. Did you see that? Boy, I heard that. Uh-huh, yeah. Whoo, really? Now, we wouldn't necessarily say it out loud. He didn't. <laughs> he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, this is his offering. There's no grace, mercy, or peace in it. He would know who and what sort of person this woman is <coughs> who is touching him. There she's a sinner. There's his offering. Based upon being a teacher of the Word of God. When you see somebody out here begging for money on the highway, what's the offering in your mind? I don't know. I know what mine has been. Challenge. Why, they're just lazy. It's a scam. Here's the big big lie. This is the spiritual lie that exists in churches and in the minds of Christians everywhere. Well, if I give them some money, you're just going to go buy some dope or alcohol. Now I'm justified. There's no grace or mercy and peace in that. It's just judgment based upon the stern logic of men. Well, God, how foolish. What if God said, (coughs) you know, if I give them my son, if I make them aware of the offering of grace, mercy, and peace that they have in my son. If I not only give them, but I allow them to take my son and uh, shame him and abuse him and uh, mock him and beat him and cruelly kill him. And when they come to the realization, now I'm going to give them this. I'm just going to give them this because of my grace and mercy and peace. And then... Uh, I can just trust them with all, I can just trust them with every pure motive moving forward. (coughs) Could you, because you're not done it. I've not done it. As you've come to understand the offering of God's grace, mercy, and peace to you, which was free, and you had nothing to do to earn it, and you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. There's not a one person in here that deserves the grace, mercy, and peace that was given on that cross, an offering. Not one. Not one, but he gave it. He offered it. And then here's the problem. Even though he's offered it, and even though we've received it, and even though we're growing in that, 
We're not good stewards of it. Do you think you're a good steward of God's grace, mercy, and peace? I have never met a Christian, <coughs> and I have never known a pre preacher that is a good steward of God's grace, mercy, and peace. I've never met one. Don't know one. Now, I know Christians and preachers that are growing. I know that Christians and preachers that are advancing. I know Christians and preachers that are, 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 are gaining and advancing and growing. And all of that is said for you and I to understand something. <clears throat> if we fully understand the magnitude of what has been offered to us eternally and then what we're, how we're supposed to offer that then ourselves. And we understand it'll change our mind. It'll change our mind the way we see the drunk or the alcoholic or the prostitute or the sexually immoral or the gay. Instead of seeing the gays and the homosexuals as enemies, as, as, instead of seeing people that are on a different side of the aisle ideologically from us, instead of seeing people as our enemies, we'll understand what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies just as the Father loved you, and then you'll be a perfect son, child of God. But because our offering isn't <clears throat> based upon the offering of God, grace, mercy, and peace through the sacrifice of his son, even though we're growing, and even though we're learning, and even though we're attaining, it's hard. But it, it's okay. It needs to be hard. Because you know what's harder than the attaining and the growing and understanding the grace, mercy, and peace that's been offered to us? You know what's harder than that? Our flesh and our heart. Our flesh and our heart. Our flesh and our heart is so hard. We learn these lessons so young. We're so selfish. We're born in sin. We're just born in sin. We're born sinners. And in us, we come to understand the grace, mercy, and peace of God. Something begins to happen. We receive that, and we get the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. I'm almost done. Thank you. There's some grace and peace and mercy. Jesus Christ, the water of life. And, uh, but as I grow and, and I advance in that area, the hardness of my flesh, the hardness of my heart begins to be broken. Much of what the Bible has to say about sin in the Bible has to do with hard hearts. Christians have hard hearts. And before I finish this section, I want you to go to second. Peter, and uh, let's see, where do I want to start reading this verse? Go to Second Peter <clears throat> chapter 1, in verse 2, because here's a problem. There's an answer. We're gonna, Christ is going to give you the answer back in Luke 7, but here's the problem. Grace and peace be multiplied to you, verse 2. 
grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and, and of Jesus our Lord. That's what I'm talking about here. Multiplied. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, grace, mercy, and peace. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, grace, mercy, and peace. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, grace, mercy, and peace. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust, my hard heart and my flesh. Verse 5. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. Here's the list. Here's what's supposed to be gaining and growing in my life. Moral excellence. Yeah, I like that. Knowledge. New knowledge, self-control. I need some more of that. New self-control, perseverance. Yeah, I'd like to persevere. Yeah. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And your brotherly kindness, love. This is a great list. This is what's supposed to be multiplying in me. Because of the grace, mercy of God and peace. For if these qualities, if these qualities are yours, this to Christians are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here it is, guys. If these qualities are increasing, you and I now are useful and fruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord. Here's the problem. Now we're going to go back to Luke 17. Here's the problem. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted. Having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Not only do we struggle with offering grace, mercy, and peace to people, but there's a reason we do it. It may be the flesh and it may be a hard heart. Here's, 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 you should, you should just memorize that verse. The problem with somebody who's not increasing in grace, mercy, and peace is based upon Something that they have forgotten. And what is that? The purification of their sins. Now go back to Luke 7. Verse 40. And Jesus, and we're finished here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors and one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they were unable to repay he graciously, grace, forgave mercy, mercy and forgiveness are the same, them both, which of them therefore will love him more? By the way, forgiveness is grace. Mercy is forgiveness. Uh, love in the Bible is uh, identified with one thing. Uh, yes, forgiveness and mercy, but peace. Jesus says that he'll be the prince of peace. The scripture says in uh, Philippians 4 that you and I will have a peace that surpasses all understanding that's associated with the love of God. So all those are tied together. And he said, he graciously forgave them uh, both. Which of them will forgive him, love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you've judged correctly. And turning toward the woman... The sinner, 
He said to Simon, do you see this woman? Here, do you see this woman? You and I can't even, we, you, we can't do it. We can't even offer grace, mercy, and peace until our vision gets corrected. We, we're so, our eyes, the delight of the eyes can never be fulfilled. The unspiritual flesh, hard eyes that we have don't even allow us to see. Do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? That's what the title of this sermon should be. Do you see this woman? Because everything that we see has to do with what we're going to offer. And most of what we'll have to offer is judgment, chaos, anger, pride. Do you see this woman? What a question. Jesus answers you in the heart and the spirit and the mind of our body. Aubrey, do you see this woman? Do you see this child? Do you see this convict? Do you see this drug addict? Oh, yeah, I see them. They let their family down. They lied. They cheat. They're dishonest. I see them. You bet I see them. They're lazy. Yeah, I see them. I, yeah, my eyesight is not designed to give grace, mercy, and peace. Did he see you on the cross? Did he see you on the cross? And if he did, what was he looking at? You answer that question. And what he saw belied what he gave. He gave grace, mercy, and peace. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. Your house. In your house. Is your house a place of grace, mercy, and peace? This is, it's so personal. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And she gave, you gave me no kiss. But since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many. How many are yours? That's another litmus test. You won't give grace, mercy, and peace if you don't think you've got a lot of sins. You really won't. I won't. Your grace, mercy, and peace will be limited. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which many have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who forgives and even forgives sin? Who is this man? I'm going to ask you a question. Who are you? Would the world look at you and say, this man, this woman, forgive sins. Forgive sins that it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. 
Do, wouldn't you like to be known? Wouldn't you like to have carved on your tombstone this man, this woman, was someone who forgave sins. Sins that most people wouldn't forgive because they understood how much they'd been forgiven. You ever see that carved on anybody's headstone? We're all heading to a headstone. What's yours going to say? Wouldn't you love for it to say, this man, this woman, is the person, the kind of person that forgave. They just forgave sinners. Sins that most of us wouldn't, would have a hard time forgiving. And the reason this man or that woman did that is because they understood how much they'd been forgiven. That's an offering of grace, mercy, and peace. That's the offering that was given to you and I. If you are a true child in the faith, let's pray. Father in heaven, my prayer for myself as a minister, my prayer for the leaders of this church is, as shepherds, my prayer for the mothers and fathers and husbands and wives and parents and children and single people and whatever stage you have us in in our life, Father, I would pray from the youngest to the oldest of us that you would create in us a great understanding of the grace, mercy, and peace that has been offered to us and that we in turn offer grace, mercy, and peace, Father, in a way that glorifies you and blesses others. Your son glorified you, and he blessed us with a free offering of grace, mercy, and peace. And it is in the name of grace, mercy, and peace. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.